M R I. Nothing personal. Word of the day is magnetic resonance imaging. MRI is what we do to players when they're hurt and we can't figure out what's wrong. I get them in an MRI. Normal people, you have to get insurance to approve it. If you don't have insurance, it costs thousands of dollars. But when you're a team, before you get a team doctor and you sign up for a hospital that you affiliate with because they're sponsors, yada, yada, you have to make sure of one thing. You can get access to an MRI tube whenever and wherever in the world you are. Hard stop. MRI is something that is used to confirm an injury, to find an injury, to help a player's state of mind, to help a team's state of mind, to provide clarification about timing of recovery, rehab. Sometimes you do x-rays to start. You see if you can see something. But MRIs for generally tissue injuries, hamstrings, obliques, lats, elbows, you are getting in the tube. And when you're in the tube, it makes all this noise and it's very claustrophobic. I think many of you may have had an MRI or maybe not. I've had a bunch of them for running stuff, but it's scary because they're watching. So you're in this tube, you close your eyes, and then there's radiologists and other doctors who are behind a glass partition because it's totally full of radiation and everything else that's in theory bad for you, worse than an oblique or a lat but you're in it, it's making noise. What it's doing, it's taking tons and tons of pictures. Then the MRI is completed. You get out of the tube and you say as the patient, as the player, as the executive, and, and they say, well, we'll call your doctor. Teams say we're awaiting MRI results. You've heard me tell you this, which makes me smile. When teams say we are awaiting MRI results, there is no awaiting MRI results. When we put a player in the tube, two seconds after the player's out of the tube, the phone is ringing from the radiologist to the team doctor to the trainer to the gm to the president doesn't matter what time of day where it is what time of night all of that is happening very often when there's an injury late at night you'll wait till the morning to do an mri but there's been times where you put someone in the tube at very strange hours because you just want to know it doesn't mean we're going to tell the media so therefore the public what's happening it means that we just need the information so we have a pick of the day yesterday. The Mets are playing the Cardinals. DeGrom is pitching, and it's going to be a good pick because we firmly assume that DeGrom is going to pitch very well, but with the new hitting coaches, there's going to be a small issue, and we go with the Cardinals. Then we get an alert that Jacob DeGrom has been scratched. So when you have an ace who's signed to a long-term deal versus an ace who is signed to a short-term deal, you treat that differently. When you have an ace in the last year of a deal and you're letting him go, you are going to be a little bit less conservative in terms of how you deal with a pitcher saying, I've got a small situation. What we do is we speak to a starting pitcher on his bullpen day, which is in between starts, and then the day before he starts, and then the day of the start. And what we're doing is we're just checking. Everything good? Good. Normally, it's a two-second check. Once in a while, a pitcher will say, oh, I got a little thing. I've got a little tightness. I've got a little forearm tightness. I've got a little shoulder tightness. I'm going to see if it can resolve. And we'd say, if it's a young pitcher, no, you're not. You're not pitching. If it's a veteran pitcher, we say, all right, get some treatment. You'll go to the trainer's room. They'll give you a little treatment. Talk to us tomorrow. So what the Mets did is they knew very well that 
Jacob deGrom was having some sort of issue in his lat. I saw a great thing on, on the InterGoogle where they showed an old pitcher like Cy Young who asked, what's a lat? So many injuries when I first started long time ago, you didn't really hear much of obliques as an example, but now that's something that happens much more often. So a lat is when you've got some sort of tightness is the way that it's described to you as, as a GM, where the pitcher says, I'm having a hard time with the follow through of his pitch, or sometimes it could be a hard time with the windup, maybe from the stretch. So you go see the trainer, you get a little treatment, you come back tomorrow. So DeGrom comes back the day of that he's starting, which is yesterday, and he reports to the training room. So there's two ways to report to the training room. Some pitchers like getting to the game early on the day they pitch. The overwhelming majority get to the game late on the day they pitch. They actually end up taking the team bus more often than not. There are several team buses, total side note, Coca, nothing to do with the show. The way you get to a road game is with the team bus. And most players do not take advantage of the team bus, which by union and collective bargaining agreement, we have to provide for the players. But the only people on the team bus are the broadcasters, some people in the uh, media relations department and some executives and the starting pitcher because the starting pitcher doesn't want to get to the game early for the most part. Some do, but most don't. They get to the ballpark. The first thing they do is they go to the trainer. So is that when we know whether our starting pitcher is ready to go? No. When you start, you have a responsibility to call the trainer on the telephone, although eight out of 10 times the trainer has to call the pitcher, but the pitcher is supposed to call the trainer and give a status report. And then the trainer calls the GM, calls the president, et cetera, and we find out whether or not the pitcher's ready to go. Again, nine times out of 10, maybe more, the pitcher's fine, the game starts, the pitcher starts on schedule, et cetera. When you've got a pitcher like Jacob DeGrom, who is the Mets, when you think of the Mets, some people think Lindor, maybe he's only been there for a month and can't hit. Maybe people are thinking Pete Alonso because he broke the home run rookie record. Maybe people are thinking Noah Syndergaard, probably not. He's been out for a year. People think Jacob DeGrom. I think most of you would agree. So there is red alert going on in the front office when DeGrom, even though he's on a long-term deal and you know that he's going to be okay. You pray he's going to be okay. You think he's going to be okay. But when he complains of tightness, the first thing you ask is where you hear lat, you say, okay, I feel okay about that, but we're going to scratch you and we're going to get you an MRI. If it's elbow or forearm, there's a whole different set of protocols. There's a whole different set of you're biting 10 nails off because you're worried that he could be hurt again with his elbow. And then you have a real problem with lat. He says, it's a pain. The reason why we scratch him and why we wouldn't necessarily scratch a player who we do not have signed is in theory, you can pitch through that, but your mechanics may change and that could lead to a future injury. When you have a long-term player, you don't want that. When you have a short-term player, if the pitcher says, I'm good to go, you're tempted to say, fantastic, take the ball. But Jacob DeGrom is signed, obviously to that huge extension that he got under the previous ownership. So they're gonna be extremely careful with him. So they send Jacob DeGrom into the MRI machine. He comes out and it's announced he has inflammation in his right lat. I can only tell you that when I'm told someone has inflammation in his right lat, my first thought is not about his lat. It's not about his inflammation. It's to talk to the player about the impact it's having on his mechanics. 
when you have a veteran player, you are going to get an honest answer about mechanic changes. When you have a young player, they're not going to be aware that their mechanics change with, with certain injuries. They're not want, going to want to admit that their mechanics change with certain injuries because they want to pitch. They need the bulk stats to go to arbitration to try to get a long-term deal. And they weigh in their head, can I pitch through this injury? And all athletes, and I mean this, have a very healthy ego and they say they can pitch through it. But when you've got Jacob DeGrom and you hear mild lat inflammation, he shut down. And then they claim they're only going to shut him down for a couple of days. And we always did that. That is primo number one, what you do with your best pitcher when he is hurt. You never immediately put him on the IL because you pray. You cross your fingers, you cross your heart, and you say, he'll get better tomorrow. And the first thing you do when you wake up is you call the trainer. Did you hear from Jacob? Did you hear from Jacob? How's he feeling today? Did he check in? We have to check in on him. So you're not going to put him on the IL to start. And it's what the Mets did. They said he's only going to miss a few days. Everything should be okay. Why do I think that that's not exactly what's happening? Because when you're Jacob DeGrom and you're not throwing 84, you're throwing 98. You have to be super careful about a lat inflammation because if, in fact, you aggravate a lat inflammation, not only could you have an issue with mechanics, which could absolutely hurt your elbow, which they don't want from Jacob DeGrom, quite obviously, but you have a chance to severely, severely strain your lat, and then it becomes multiple weeks and multiple starts. So the smart thing to do if you are the Mets is to put him on the IL, let him miss. You can retroactively to his last start. The way it works in baseball is you don't have to go on the injured list the day that you get hurt. You can go on the injured list any day and you can retroactively put someone on the injured list the last time they appeared in a game. So in theory, Jacob DeGrom is already on day six of a 10-day IL if that makes sense to you, because he pitched five days ago, let's say. So you could put him on the L IL retroactive to the day after his last start. This is when Coco would earn his wings, and he'd be telling me the last start for Jacob DeGrom was blank. I'm assuming May 5th minus five days. Let's just call it April 30th, April 29th, somewhere around there would have been his last start. So he can be on the IL retroactive to that, and then 10 days from that day, he's eligible to come off. So why wouldn't you put him on the IL? So we last pitched on the 28th. Today's the fifth. He's already day seven. And of course, Coca doesn't have time to look at every box score, but I'm assuming Jacob DeGrom didn't go into pinch run. He didn't go into pinch hit because if you appear in a game at all, then you are only able to go retroactive to that day. So the Mets made a player move. They bring up a player. I want to say they brought up, why is this in my head? It shouldn't be, but Jordan Holloway. Is that the same Jordan Holloway as the former Marlin? I think it may be. So they brought up a player. They had to get rid of another player who they wouldn't have had to. But because if you put a player on the injured list, then you get to replace that roster spot. How does this end? This ends with Jacob DeGrom missing his next start. That is a wait to see. Wait to see is when I tell you whether or not something's going to happen. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't, but we always revisit it. We want accountability. If you're a new listener on nothing personal and judging by what Coca tells me when he feels like my ego's a little bruised and he wants to spruce me up like a gorgeous tree, he says, hey, there's a ton of new listeners every single day. 
So you may not know a way to see us. If you've been with me from the beginning, you do. So many people in this media space talk about things. They give you hot takes. They give you opinions. And then when they're wrong, they don't care. They just keep going. And then they keep getting paid. I never wanted to be that. I always wanted to revisit it. By the way, it's Jordan Yamoto, not Yamoto, not uh, Jordan Holloway. I have no idea why Jordan Holloway was in my mind. So in any case, that too was brought up by the mess. So my wait to see for today is that Jacob deGrom is going to miss a start. And the reason why is there is no reason in the world when you are running that team, whether you're Sandy Alderson or whether you're Steve Cohen or Luis Rojas, you are not rushing him back. You want to make sure the entire inflammation has gone down. He's already on a pack of anti-inflammatories. That is how you treat inflammation. We give these players anti-inflammatories every other day. Anything that happens, ah, anti-inflammatories. Make sure you eat food so you don't burn your stomach out. So that is the Jacob DeGrom story. It's pretty big news if you're the Mets because the Mets have been in the news for all the wrong reasons. And they really had an unfortunate rainout last night, which impacted our pick of the day uh, because with DeGrom not pitching, we already picked against the Mets. That would have been amazing, even though Coca said the game was taken off the board. So we really couldn't make that the pick of the day. But here's the problem for a team when you make a coaching change or a managerial change or a GM change, and you don't have a game the next day. You've got beat writers who still get under the rules of baseball access to the clubhouse for a period of time, even on a non-game day, because they came in to the ballpark and before the game was rained out. And the media has to find stuff to write about. The beat reporters have to find another topic because they can't write a game story. So what's going on around the Mets today is what we talked about yesterday with their hitting coaches being fired. And what we didn't know yesterday, because no one had spoken to the players, is that the players were going to talk. And especially when there was no game to talk about, they were going to talk about the hitting coaches being moved, fired, not moved. I guess they were moved. They were moved out of the coaches clubhouse. That's a whole thing. When, when a manager gets fired, Okay, this is funny to me. I mean, it's not funny when someone loses the job, but when you are hired as a coach in baseball or a manager or a president or a GM, you know you are temporarily employed. You're going to get fired. So when someone is being fired, you actually call before your PR people, you're calling your clubhouse guy because they have to go into the coach's locker room and they box up the coach's stuff. They take out the coach's nameplate. You tell them who the next coach is. They make a nameplate. They make a uniform. They have to give them all new shorts and workout shirts and spikes and shoe and uh, socks and toiletries and all sorts of stuff that coaches get. And by the time the game starts, the new hitting coach, before that, by the time he reports at the ballpark, the old coach's stuff is gone and the new coach's stuff is in, and it's as though nothing happened except you've got a group of coaches who get dressed together, they shower together, they do everything together, and all of a sudden there's two new people out of nowhere. So Chili Davis is gone, and the players get asked about it. And what the players said in response to this firing was interesting because we fired a lot of coaches in our time, and we never, not one time, consulted a player prior to making a coaching change or a managerial change. It cost us a little bit of goodwill in the clubhouse. 
it created quite a bit of us versus them in the clubhouse, us meaning the free, the front office, them meaning the clubhouse. Of course, when they're saying it, it's the other way around. They're the us and we're the them. I guess life is just perspective in it, isn't it? So the players are not consulted. Very often, they don't find out what's going on in the old days until they get to the ballpark. In the new days, if a coach is fired, it's on Twitter in 10 seconds. So Pete Alonzo, who has had Chili Davis as his hitting coach, my guess is for the entirety of his career, excuse me, Coca, I forgot to mute on that throat clear. When Pete Alonzo was brought up, I think Chili Davis was the hitting coach. Chili Davis opted out last year during the pandemic, so I don't think he was the hitting coach during the games in 2020, but he was back for 2021. Pete Alonzo is at his locker. He gets asked about the pitching coach change, uh, the hitting coach change, and he loses his mind. He acknowledges, one, he cried. It's all right to cry. Rosie Greer taught us that on Free to Be You and Me with Marlo Thomas. It's perfectly all right to cry. Over a hitting coach? A hitting coach? I guess it happens. Hitters get relationships with their hitting coaches. And do you know how much the front office considers that? Zero. Do you know how much the front office considers whether or not Lindor is hitting 160? A lot. So Pete Alonso is asked, how do you react? And Pete Alonso, a guy who does not have a long-term deal, someone who is approaching arbitration, about to get paid. He's remember he of the 53 home runs. I think that was the rookie record. Pete Alonso says, for the life of me, I can't understand what we're doing here. What happened here? The reason I want to mention what Pete Alonso said is that GMs and managers, when pitching or hitting coaches are being moved out or a bench coach, the chain of communication goes as follows. You heard yesterday the conversation between Steve and Sandy. Sandy then calls Louis Rojas, the manager, and says to the manager, we're going to make a change with one of your coaches. Many managers are very angry about that. When we fired Louis Pujols, who was the bench coach for Philippe Alou, without telling Philippe Alou, when we told Philippe Alou, he stormed out of the office and threatened to quit. Of course, he wasn't going to quit because then he loses his salary. He knew that he was next, and so he's going to hold out until we fire him so we can get paid the balance of his contract. If you are a young manager like Louis Rojas, you are not going to quit. You're not going to say a word. You're going to toe the organizational line, which he did by saying, of course, it was a tough day but it's a decision made by the organization. That's all I'm going to say right now. Well, Louis, were you consulted on this? It was an organizational decision. What that is code for is not only was I not consulted, I was simply told it was going to happen. And then every manager fights for his coaches. When you're told there's going to be a coaching change, you say, whether it's during the season or off season, actually, you say to the front office, I like this guy. I want this guy around. We have a great rapport. He's great with the hitters. You're not in the clubhouse. You don't see all the stuff he does and all the video he studies and all the preparation he does and all the personal preparation, mental preparation, how interested he is in the players' families, et cetera, et cetera. And the number of times that that managerial plea is convincing to a front office to change course is zero. So you call the manager, you tell him what's going to happen. The manager has no choice. A veteran manager can get a little more angry, but still isn't going to quit. All managers know when you fire coaches that they're next, because what you do is when you're unhappy with your season is you start with your coaches and then you move on to your manager. 
So Louis, Louis Rojas knows that his job is in jeopardy. His job's always been in jeopardy. There's a new owner. There's a new general manager. They got Louis Rojas. They inherited him. They kept him on this year. But if the Mets don't perform well, he's gone. It's not even a question. Steve Cohn, the owner of that team, the new owner, he's never going to allow Louis Rojas to keep his job if the Mets do not make the playoffs this year. So Louis Rojas gets told. Louis Rojas gets told that the, there's going to be a change. Then the players get told. Even though they know on Twitter, they're told officially in a team meeting that you would call after the firing when the team reports to the ballpark. You get everyone together in the clubhouse. You do have the GM there. If it were at home, I'd be there. If it were a road game I was at, I would be there. You're down in the clubhouse. The manager addresses the team, and we say, any questions? And you introduce the new hitting coach, et cetera. No questions are ever asked in a forum like that. Then the backbiting starts. The gossiping starts when we leave the room, and they say this front office doesn't know what they're doing. How could they make this change? This is ridiculous. It's not the coach's fault that we're not hitting. Lindor actually gave a quote saying it's not Chili Davis's fault. I can't hit for him. That's 101 in the player handbook. How many times when you see a firing in baseball or basketball, do you hear the players say, well, he can't take my shots for me. He can't pitch for me. He can't hit for me. You hear that all the time. He can't block the blitzing linebacker for me. You just hear everyone say, I'm very sorry that I cost someone the job by my lack of performance. But listen, it was nothing he did. If players had a say in coaching changes or managerial changes, they would never happen because players don't want to feel responsible for having someone lose a job. So Pete Alonzo meets the media and he's asked a simple question about Chile and he loved Chile. He called him uncle. I, I can't remember. Is it uncle Chile? And uh, Coca, I'm not going to tell our audience that Zach Scott is the acting GM. I'm not doing that. Zach Scott, they call him the acting GM in New York. Zach Scott is not doing any GM duties other than administrative duties. Can we just stop with this? He may be calling other GMs to talk about trades. He has no final say on anything. He has no final say on a hitting coach change. He has no final say on a trade. He has no final say on anything, Coca. So no more yelling in my ear when I call Sandy Alderson, the GM, even though he's the president of business and baseball ops, whatever title he is, CEO, who cares? It is not Zach Scott. Okay. Are we done with that? Folks, this is what happens. If you're watching this on YouTube, you know that something's in my ear. If you're listening, I've got an IFB in my ear, which just means Coca can talk to me. And when he wants something said, he'll say it and he'll say it as I'm saying it. And I'll be one second behind what he's saying to me. You can be in my ear all you want, Coca. I'm not calling Zach Scott the acting GM of the New York Mets. That's misleading to the audience. So Pete Alonso calls him Uncle Chili and says that this is wrong. I have no understanding of why. I respect the organization, and maybe I'll understand it one day, but I don't today. And the emotion that he had was to be expected, which is why the front office made a mistake. And once you make the decision to fire a coach, and once you tell the players before you let the media come in, I would have a sit down with that player. I would go over to his locker, or I'd have the GM go over to the locker, or I'd have the manager call him into the office because I don't want a PR issue. It's unavoidable sometimes, but very avoidable other times. I do not want 
a player to say to the media that he does not understand what the organization is doing. I want the player to say to the media, this is an unfortunate thing that took place. It is a result of where we are as a team offensively, and we have more to do with that than the coach. That coach deserved better, but we are going to do better starting now. That is what we would ask our players to say. Sometimes they say it. More often, they do not say it. So then, of course, they go to Lindor. Lindor, who we told you yesterday, is hitless. He got no hits last night. Again, he took the donut. He went 0 for 0, 0 for 0. And... Lindor says, I'm sorry. You know, I I didn't know him well. I didn't hit well, but he can hit for me, and I'm just going to try to do better. Obviously, this is a big slump I'm in, and that's it. All right, now who do we talk to? We did not make fired coaches available to the media. They just, they're gone from the clubhouse. We packed their stuff. See you later. However, in this day and age, many hitting coaches are sources for people in the media, many coaches in general, many trainers, many GMs, there's sources everywhere, you know that. So Chili Davis was contacted by a local New York paper and he gave a quote, not a statement through the Mets. It was a interview through a New York paper where he basically acknowledged that I did the best I could. I believe that my relationships with the players speak for themselves. I worked as hard as I could possibly work. Obviously, our new player is not hitting Francisco Lindor, and that is something that is too bad, but he's really inside his own head, but it's going to get better. That's it, folks. On to the next hitting coach. The Mets will play again, I promise, and they're going to hit again, just not for DeGrom. Wait to see. DeGrom misses his next start. MRI, word of the day. So we did have one nothing personal pick of the day. We lost. We're 56 and 40, back to 16 over. I'm so disappointed in my pick. I'm disappointed because I really thought that Zach Greinke would perform against the Yankees. I really thought that there'd be an opportunity for the Yankees to overreact to the way Greinke pitches, swing too hard. But it turns out Greinke had no control and the Yankees were on it. And what I did not take into account And when you're picking games and when you're betting, I have to know better. So mea culpa, I did not take into account the fan situation at that game and the impact, which to me, it should be zero. And when you talk to the players after they're in a hostile situation, when they're a road team, they'll tell you, yeah, I heard it, but it was no impact. But I did not realize the way New York fans would react. And you know, I love New York been a New Yorker always, a New Yorker slash Floridian. They were so brutal to Jose Altuve and to Alec, Alex Bregman and even to Michael Brantley. It wasn't even on the team. Side note, folks, Brantley wasn't even on the team in 17. Anyway, the Yankee fans were absolutely insane to the Astros. Did that flummox the Astros enough to cause them to lose the game? I don't think so. But they definitely got impacted. Nothing personal pick of the day. Let's go to the NBA. I've got a little MLB fatigue right now with picks. I'm 16 over and I saw a game tonight that fascinates me. Hey, Coca, what's the current line of the Nuggets-Knicks game? Denver Nuggets and the New York Knicks. Knicks, one of the hottest teams in basketball. The Knicks who have a chance, if you can believe this, and a pretty good chance to host a first-round playoff series as the number four seed. Completely insane. They're playing a Nuggets team 
without Jamal Murray out for the year with the potential MVP in Jokic, and the Nuggets are only giving three points to the Knicks? Do people not realize the difference between the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference? Are people so taken by Tom Thibodeau and the excitement that is the Knicks, who I love, you know that, that they're only giving three? We're taking Denver. We're giving the points. Nuggets over the Knicks. I'm taking the Western Conference over the Eastern Conference anytime I can. The Western Conference is an absolute bear. Pick of the day, Denver Nuggets minus three. When we come back, we're going to review a movie that was quite interesting. It's an older movie that I'd never heard of, and I'm going to want to tell you about it so you watch it. And then we have to talk about something that happened in hockey. I know for all the hockey fans, we don't do a lot of hockey here, but there's something that went on that is so extraordinary that it is worth really, really getting into. We will be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name is David Sampson. Coke and I come to you every single day, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing. We try to at least. 45 minutes unedited, talking about things, entertainment, politics, sports, trending stories, things that we think are interesting to us and may be interesting to you. We also watch a movie every day. The way you know about us is you download, you rate, you review, you subscribe, you tell your friends. And we have built Nothing Personal and we're going to keep going. Keep the marathon going. So I do watch a movie every single day, no matter what, no matter what I've done during the course of a day. If I work a 17 hour day, I'm watching a movie. I don't sleep too much and that helps. I watched a movie from 2018. The way it works now, what a dream when before streaming services, in order to watch a movie every day, I had VCRs, I had DVDs and I'd put in, put one in or I had all the movie channels, but if I'm on the road, then I had to bring traveling. I had these traveling. Any of you ever have these traveling DVD cases where you put the DVDs in the plastic slips and you then leaf through and choose one and put it in your traveling DVD player with headphones? <laughs> Don't need that anymore. All you need is a screen and a Wi-Fi connection. So I go through the streaming services. I keep a list of movies that I'm recommended. And then I try to see what's current, what's just out but I came across a movie that I'd never heard of with Frazier from Cheers, whose name is Kelsey Grammer, and Kristen Bell, who is one of my favorite actresses, well, top 30. And they're in a movie called Like Father. I had no idea what it was about, and I had no idea what I was in for. Like Father's about a woman who gets married at her wedding. She gets left at the altar by her fiance, and her dad shows up. And her dad, Kelsey Grammer, who had not been in her life, had left the family when she was young and then never contacted her after. He shows up at her wedding somehow and she sees him. The movie goes through what happens after that when you're left at the altar and you see your father for the first time. And they end up on a Royal Caribbean cruise honeymoon in the honeymoon suite as father and daughter. 
the movie has a few comedic moments. But the reason why I'm suggesting this movie is a personal one. And the reason why I got emotional watching Like Father is that the mistakes I made with my kids when I chose work more often than not, when I wasn't present at a, at a Little League game or at a dance recital or at a debate tournament because I thought I was so cool being the president of a team and making trades and speaking to commissioners and all the other crap that at the end of the day is interesting but not as meaningful as trying to do better as a, as a father or husband for that matter. And I have definitely not in any way abandoned my children. I never would do that. But I clearly have made mistakes during the course of my life. And this movie just got to me. And if you're a perfect father, then don't watch the movie. If you have a perfect relationship with your child, don't watch the movie. But if you've gone through struggles or in the middle of struggles, and you feel sometimes that there's no way out of them, and that you don't know that time will be the the helpful elixir to cure what ails your family situation. Watch this movie like father. And you may think it's fantasy and you may think that your situation doesn't apply and you may think that it's never going to happen that way, but maybe it will. And I don't know if it just caught me at a time of, of, I don't, I, 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 can you imagine I can't find the words Coca? I don't know if this movie caught me at a time of personal disappointment or, reflection. It just caught me at a time where I was willing to watch a silly movie that has very, very important emotional undertones. And it hit me right. And if you're in the mood to be hit right, which will cause you to get a stomach ache at the end of the movie, it will cause you to smile and probably shed a few tears. If you're in the mood for that, watch Like Father. If you think that it doesn't apply to you at all, you should watch Like Father because maybe it does. Kelsey Grammer, Kristen Bell, it's called Like Father. Thank you. I don't know how to segue away from that, Coca. You know, there's a player, his name is Tom Wilson. And this is what you were all getting to me at uh, on Twitter, David P. Sampson. A lot of questions about this. We do statements. We break down statements. Statements in sports make me smile. Statements are things that we work on all the time. We release all the time. You have a PR department. You have a head of PR. You have a head of communications. You have a head of business communications. You have a head of baseball communications. And you take the time to try to formulate the best statement you can. Thank God for nothing personal's ratings. The statements that come out are generally poor because for whatever reason, owners or presidents or GMs, they're really not paying attention the way they should to statements. Well, the New York Rangers released a statement yesterday that I have never seen in 18 years, not one time. And I thought, amusingly so, that I had seen it all. Tom Wilson is a player who is a dirty player. It is a, he's basically Nick Fatiu. I guess I would say he's been suspended 25 times. Uh, he's been, excuse me. He has had 25, 10 plus penalty minutes in a regular season game. And that's the most in almost 10 years in the NHL. What else Coca? He's been suspended seven times 
seven games on March 5th. He had an incident on March 5th that he was suspended seven games. In 2018, this same player was suspended for 20 games and three playoff games. We're talking about a guy that gets suspended. It's what he does. He's a guy who has dirty. Are they dirty, Coco, when you get suspended for it by definition? They're illegal. They are against the rules, so you get suspended or you get a penalty. So they're playing the New York Rangers, and Tom Wilson ends the season of one of the Rangers players. And that's that. And I figured that was that. Until I saw that the National Hockey League fined him $5,000 for the hit. And if you go back and look at this hit, you can Google it or get it on YouTube. He basically did something that is a crime if you're not in a uniform. I never understood once in a while. Remember that uh, I'm going to get it wrong, Coca, and you're going to really have to lose your mind here. Was there a player named Donald Brashear? There was either a hit on a Brashear or Brashear did the hit where there may have been a criminal complaint against him or it may not be Brashear at all. I have no idea why that's in my mind, but you can use the stick as a weapon and you can actually be charged with assault for what you do in hockey. It was Brashear. I can't believe it. Why do I know that? Out of all the things I forget, that's in my mind. Donald Brashear slashed Marty McSorley. I didn't remember it was McSorley. And I believe he may have been charged. So this is 1999. <laughs> Thank you, Coca. I can't believe you found it that quickly. So cut to, he's fined $5,000 Tom Wilson for this hit. And all of a sudden, the Rangers released the following statement. I'm putting on my glasses. I want to read the entire statement because I've not seen one like this before. The New York Rangers are extremely disappointed that Capitals forward Tom Wilson was not suspended for his horrifying act of violence last night at Madison Square Garden. Wilson is a repeat offender with a long history of these types of acts, and we find it shocking that the NHL and their Department of Player Safety failed to take the appropriate action and suspend him indefinitely. In and of itself, that is a shocking statement. But it continues. Wilson's dangerous and reckless actions caused an injury that will prevent him from playing again this season. The injury was to Panarin. We view this as a dereliction of duty, wait for it, by NHL head of player safety, George Peros, and believe he is unfit to continue in his current role. I almost fell off my driving seat when I read that at a gas station. A member of a league released a statement calling for the firing of an employee in the commissioner's office. Now, you could dismiss this as being James Dolan related. Absolutely. And you know, as the owner of MSG and the Knicks and the Rangers, that you've all had your issues with him. You could say that James Dolan was angry enough that he wanted Peros to be fired. But there's no way the owner, even Dolan, would want a statement like that out there. It makes no sense. The appropriate action when you are a team 
and you have had something happen that you do not agree with is you pick up the phone, you start with the Joe Torrey or you start with the head of on-field operations in hockey, and then you move all the way on up through Bill Daly, the deputy commissioner, Dan Hallam in baseball, and then you get to Gary Bettman, Rob, the Rob Manfred of, of uh, baseball is, is Gary Bettman in hockey. You call and you plead your case and you get an explanation why the decision was made the way it was. If you do that and you still feel as though you are not satisfied, then you go to other owners and you talk about what happened and whether or not you believe and they agree with you that a change should be made within the commissioner's office, whether it's firing the commissioner all the way down to an employee 10 levels before. And the reason you do that is that if you have enough owners who agree with you because they're worried about the safety of their own players, they're worried about hockey in general, even though they just signed the new TV deal and things are definitely a little better, but they're still worried. You get momentum to make a change in the commissioner's office. You don't do it in the media. And remember, the media can be used to manipulate a situation with players. It can be used to do all sorts of things in collective bargaining. You can use the media to accomplish so many positive things. You are not going to succeed in having a change made in a commissioner's office by releasing a statement like that. Because what the commissioner's office will do is they will double down. And the reason they will double down and keep George Peros is you cannot, under any circumstance, if you are the commissioner of your sport, allow a decision to be made that comes from pressure that is made through the media. Because then you've opened Pandora's box and you're completely screwed. Because now teams know, forget going through proper channels, forget trying to get three quarters of the owners to agree on something. Now, all I have to do is go to the media, make sure there's a lot of outrage, embarrass the heck out of you, and then you're going to make a change. Can't do it. Simply cannot do it. What is the responsibility for the NHL Department of Player Safety? And why is George Peros's job secure, in my opinion? It's all about making sure that you are providing a deterrent for against future behavior. You want to make sure that all players and the union understand very clearly what's allowed, what's not allowed, and what the penalty and ramifications will be. And when you are the director of player safety, when you are in charge of meting out discipline, like the, and it just happened in baseball, when Amir Garrett got suspended for seven games for what he did against the Cubs, when you are making decisions on discipline, whether it's a fine all the way up to a suspension, you take every individual situation, you compare it to previous situations and what you've done in those situations because you have to have consistency. Consistency is what you want when you are a front office so you can explain to your players what is going to happen at a particular time if you do a particular thing. If you cause a bench clearing brawl, if you leave the bullpen in the NBA, if you leave the bench, 
you know very well what the rules are on what kind of punishments can be handed out under what sort of scenarios. You know that there's a collective bargaining agreement that indicates what a player can be fined under certain circumstances, what a player can be, how long a suspension can be. You know it because of what's happened previously and what's contained in the CBA. So what would cause the Rangers to go rogue like this? Is it the culmination of frustration? Is it the reality that their players out for the year? It's happened to me. We've had injuries. We've had plays at the plate. We've had issues with bad calls with umpires. We've had all sorts of things happen. And all I would do in the media is respond with what I learned by talking to Joe Torrey or Bud Garad Manford, and then say my own opinion of how I disagree. But I would never call for the firing of Tory or Selig or even someone lower than that in the media. Even I, you simply would not do it. Okay, you know nothing personal is on a road trip, right, Coca? Of course you know because you wanted to be invited, but it's a solo road trip. What am I going to have you in the car? What if you have to go to the bathroom at a different time I do? That's extra stops. I posted a video on Twitter. If you can follow me, we're going to post videos as often as possible, maybe every day at David P. Sampson. And I said that there's a prize if someone can figure out where I was, but you have to be specific. And a few of you had it, but you said Moab. Close, but no cigar. But if you're Austin Green and you want to contact Coca, you know how to find him. You can DM Coca directly, get your address because you win Austin. I was in Arches National Park. And I had quite a day driving to Arches National Park yesterday. Do you know there's signs when you're on the interstate that say no services for 106 miles? And if you don't see the sign and you pass it and you don't have enough gas, you may have a major problem. Well, I didn't see the sign. And remember, I told you all the problems I had at the gas station with my tire alarm. The air pressure was a problem. I left the gas station with the gas tank still open and the, the tank open. What I neglected to mention is I got to the gas station with five miles left on my range, five miles. I made it, but it was so anxious for 106 miles with no cell service on top of that. Where will we be today? Wait to see. Austin Green, congratulations. It is so beautiful in Arches National Park. If you have not had a chance to get in a car and see Utah, it is a beautiful state. That is the show for today. Where this sweatshirt is going, who knows? Could go anywhere. What I do know is I'll see you all tomorrow. And remember, it's just business. This is nothing personal. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.